Welcome to Today's Entrepreneur, a program about the entrepreneurial spirit that drives Quebec business presented by FL Montreal. My name is Dan Delmar, along with Mike Newton, as usual, head of FL Montreal. Hey, Mike. Hey, Dan. How are you? I'm good. How are you? Very good. Thank you. This is the end of our 13th season, lucky number 13 here at Today's Entrepreneur. So it's our last new episode. Um, before we, we we will return in the fall with uh, season number 14 with some of Quebec's best entrepreneurs. But wow, what a season. I mean, today we have the one and only Juliette of Juliette de Chocolat. Um, it was a really incredible season with uh, Dax de Silva, who was a self-made billionaire starting out of Montreal. Uh, Louis Tetsu, one of the most prominent uh, Quebecers in tech ever. Um, really phenomenal season. So thank you, Mike, and to uh, to your team at FL for, again, supporting this program. And thank you to our producer, Marjorie. Marjorie, come on the air and say hello for such an amazing season. Congratulations for all the all the, the hard work you put into this to, uh, to the show this year. And I have to say, it's so much fun. Um, you know, there's a saying in French, les Québécois sont nés pour un petit pain. Well, I'm determined to show that it's so much, we are so much more than that. We're the movers and shakers, where they're in tech, where they're in retail, where they're everywhere in Quebec, in Canada, and abroad. So it's just um, so exciting to to dig up those nuggets and to uh, showcase them on, on our show. Now, that's the Marjorie I know. She's got vision. She's got the sight going forward and, you know, still very eloquent spoken while, while on air. So Marjorie, thank you so much. I think you've done a great job this year putting the guests together, but not just putting guests together. I, I think hitting so many different points and so many different environments within Montreal. I think the the widespread uh, selection of guests, industries and everything else, I think it's really shone through. And, you know, you said, Dan, you know, lucky number 13. I do have to think that probably from that perspective, this has been, uh, you know, one of the, uh, if not the greatest year of, uh, of overall diversity of, uh, of, uh, of guests. So thank you, Marjorie, because that is you and Ariel and your team. That is, uh, that's, that's up to you. I, uh, my, my job finishes off air. So uh, you're doing a great job. Thank you. Thanks yes. to you guys. And uh, we'll be, the, we'll be there to support you next year. Looking forward to it. Can't wait. Marjorie Valsan, the head of uh, marketing at FL Montreal and a very well-known master connector in the city. You got to follow her uh, on LinkedIn. And uh, Mike, let's talk about the future. So we're going to talk about Julieta Chocolat. It's a super interesting business. I mean, uh, you know, I used to go on dates there when I was uh, practically in my in my teen years. Um, very beautiful atmosphere. Obviously, you know, handcrafted terroir products and uh, expanding into a franchise model uh, in various locations across the province. Yeah, great. Uh, another great uh, Quebec success story, uh, you know, kind of hits my sweet spot, pun intended, uh, for all of this. I mean, and and she's just a fascinating person to talk to. I think she does a great interview. She's she's real. And uh, and I think she takes that realness to uh, to the stores and to the staff. And, and, and I think she really comes across as, uh, you know, as as a successful uh, entrepreneur in uh, in a marketplace that Let's be honest, the retail restaurant sector has not been so kind to people in the last two years. It has not been kind to a lot of restaurateurs, uh, which is why it's important to talk about long-term planning. And that's what we're going to focus on today, because we're going to be off for a while. We'll be off till uh, till September. And so it's best to look ahead. And the summer is a really perfect time to do that. Everything kind of slows down a little bit in the summer, um, at least for most companies, I think. Uh, maybe you get the occasional afternoon off that would provide entrepreneurs with some occasion to look at their business models and uh, take some uh, steps to shift things around on the long term. Um, long term versus short term. In terms of time management, Mike, let's let's start there. How much time should entrepreneurs um, devote to long term planning? 
Well, I think you need to build a team that never loses track on a daily basis of long-term planning. And, and, and I think the biggest mistake falls into, you know, it's in front of us. we got to solve today's problem. I'll get to that tomorrow. Well, tomorrow is the future. And if you keep pushing it off, you're effectively creating an environment that is a constant short-term thinking world. I mean, you know, part of the steps really need to be to create a purpose for the organization. And, and as we've heard on this show, you know, over time and again over the last couple of years is, you know, you've got to find a purpose that is greater than just profits. I mean, you still have a, you still have a one school of thought that is, you know, measurement of success is the score on the hockey, on the hockey scoreboard. Well, it's EPS earnings per share or profits for some, but the, 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 the workforce that we're dealing with now needs to be able to be motivated by something more than just the bottom lines. We need to translate that purpose into a long-term strategy. And, you know, again, we, we need to find a new measurement for profitability. And, and don't get me wrong, we're not going to stop counting and we're not going to stop figuring out what the bottom line is because we all know that ultimately at the end of the day, without a bottom line, it's very difficult to continue on a long-term basis. But there has to be a decent balancing act. And part of our goal is to constant, constantly foster a culture of long-term thinking. So, you know, if you're to ask me percentage-wise, I, I, I'm, you know, I wouldn't say it's a 50-50 discussion, but I do think that, you know, really a large part of the, the the brainchilds of an organization need to be thinking as far out. I mean, you need to have people that are solving today's issues. You also need to be yourself, especially as the visionary, thinking what is it this organization wants to be in three years, five years, and 10 years from now? Because if you lose sight of that, you never get there. You know, you, you, you always need to know where you're going if, uh, if you want to try and reach it. I found these um, action steps from the Wharton School of Business uh, pretty interesting. So four steps, pretty easy to remember. Create a purpose for your organization. Translate that purpose into a long-term business strategy. Formulate the metrics and then foster the culture. Yeah, there's there, there, there's no doubt. I mean, you, this is this is a an environment that you really have to focus yourself on on a regular basis. You know, in an environment such as ours, uh, in a professional environment, you know, I always say that, you know, the managing partner's role is to be thinking three years, five years out. I don't need all the partners thinking that far out, but some of us have to be constantly in that mode. You have to see what is the purpose? How do we want to get there? Uh, you know, I, I hate to say it, but it doesn't just happen, right? I mean, part of this is, is about fostering a culture today that goes somewhere out. I mean, we'll talk to Alita at the end of the show on, on this whole discussion of evaluations and performance management and you know performance management and helping people with career paths is not a short-term goal yet as an entrepreneur you say i'm missing four spots i need to hire people i don't care just give me bodies well that goes against what that long term is and you need to find that 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 balancing act between uh solving today's short-term pain and making sure that you're around to have more short-term pains in the future these uh, tips from Harvard Business Review uh, and in terms of keeping sight of your company's long-term vision. One, uh, plan based on the vision. Two, focus your experimentation. And three, train your people. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a big believer in uh, executing and adjusting and fixing and, and, and moving forward. I think many entrepreneurs fail uh, to recognize that, uh, you know, there's, to me, there's three categories of, uh, of, of risk. There is the, hey, this is moving quickly. Let's try this. If it doesn't work, we can do an about face. There's those that have a bigger implication across. And then the third, the third bin is those that put you into bankruptcy. So, you know, you better make sure that the third one you're a little more careful with. But I don't think trying things and failing and tweaking and modifying is actually a bad practice on a long-term basis. I think it creates and it fosters an environment of experimentation. And, you know, most big successes in the past have come from, you know, 
fumbling, making a mistake and experimenting and trying something new. And, and I think people lose sight of this. We live in a culture of perfection. We live in a culture where, you know, it, it, it really, it, it's not good to say you made a mistake. I, I completely disagree. I think you need to make mistakes in order to learn, but those are long-term. Your short-term is how do you solve them when they come up? And I think that needs an equal uh, exercise and execution that if you go left and you need to go right, don't let your ego get in the way. Make sure you do what you need to do in order to succeed and not say, no, I chose this and we're sticking to it till the end. It can be a discouraging time for entrepreneurs, uh, the pandemic, obviously, especially if you're in certain industries uh, like the restaurant industry, uh, supply chain shortages, global conflict, it goes on and on. What would you say to entrepreneurs who, who do feel discouraged and are saying, well, what's the point of even long-term planning if we can't predict anything? Well, I think that has become the role that we now take in, in, in entrepreneurs. It is, you know, being an entrepreneur by its very nature was, was delving into uncertainty. So if you go back to the, the roots of what an entrepreneur is, uh, it is not knowing what the success is going to be. It's learning every day. It's modifying behavior. And I think what we've now done is we've probably hit an enlightenment period where you can look at this and say, well, there's no point because I don't know what tomorrow is going to bring. Or you can look at it and say, hey, there's an opportunity to do something different to differentiate myself or differentiate ourselves as an organization and take this as, well, nobody really knows what's next. So let's 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 lead what's next as opposed to what's follow. And, you know, one of the things from an entrepreneurial side that is that is very sad to see is you know just kind of following the bandwagon at the end of the day you know you hop on the bandwagon you say hey well we've been doing this for 10 years let's continue to do it for 10 years we all need an opportunity and 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 i do think that you know despite the negativity that's come out of the pandemic i think this is this is a huge opportunity for a lot of people to really look down the road and say hey what i'm doing has a benefit but i better find a bit different way to do it isn't this though uh, a really great time to experiment that's what I've been doing. I mean, we've been experimenting with a couple of different services that maybe under normal circumstances we, we wouldn't be experimenting with. I totally agree. What you've got now is you got an excuse to try something and, and, and if it doesn't work, then you say, hey, it didn't work because of the pandemic or it didn't work because it didn't have enough people or whatever the case is. But, you know, you, you, get, you gain kudos for trying something different, which to me is huge. OK, and I think if you sit back and you just wait for it to happen, it's not going to happen. I mean, I think, you know, if you if you look at ups and downs in the economy, we've gotten very complacent in periods. Uh, and, you know, every once in a while we need things. And usually that's just purely an economic disaster that happens. Unfortunately, this time we've got a you know a humane disaster when in, in in COVID. So it there's it's come with some negativity environmentally. I think there's a huge profit profitability, and I don't mean that in dollars, but in ways that you express the success of, of what's going forward. So yeah, I, I, I see this as as a, a huge opportune time. Like at the beginning of, I mean, I don't want to call it the, uh, the the technological revolution or you know the industrial revolution, but there's certainly a, a change in mindset that uh, can go a long way right now. We are looking to expand, and I, I found that the one thing that is making long-term planning most difficult for me, out of all of the uncertainty that's out there, um, is the the labor shortage. Like, if there's one thing I think as an entrepreneur that's been the most unexpected challenge for me in the last year, it's that. Well, Dan, I, I, I'm going to agree with you, but I'm also going to say that this has been an accelerator on the staffing issues. We were walking into the pandemic with problems. Uh, we had a workforce that was changing the way that they saw the future, changing the way that they had placed themselves in the marketplace, uh, have had a, a big gap between old school thinking and new school thinking. So while I agree that this is this is a short term issue, 
Uh, I think from a long-term perspective, there's a lot of positivity from what we're battling right now. And again, you're going to say to me, well, I got to stay solvent until such time as that comes around. And I'm going to say to you, well, you better find a way to do things differently. But staffing is definitely a, a major obstacle uh, right now. And I think that that's because most people have, have reevaluated philosophically what they want to do in life and what's important. And I got to tell you, I don't think they figured it out yet. So, you know, where every day you want to say, oh, nobody wants to come to work. They want to stay home and collect their 300 bucks and play video games. The reality is, is I think they're still trying to find themselves as, as we would in many other circumstances. But uh, yeah, we're not out of the woods and don't get me wrong. It's not a warm and fuzzy employment market right now. So despite the fact that long-term planning is always a challenge to get to for, for entrepreneurs, you can't let the short-term go either. So Mike, before we bring in Juliet, just some advice in terms of balancing the, the short and the long-term. Um, I mean, the short-term, should that make up, what, three-quarters of a entrepreneur's planning time? I would say it depends on the circumstances. I, you know, I, I wouldn't want to put, being a numbers guy, uh, you'd think I'd want to, but I wouldn't want to put a number on that because I think it's it's circumstantial. I, I think it depends on the industry you're in. I think it depends on the culture you've built. I think it depends on how you see things. I mean, a lot of people will tell you that it's been two years of crisis management. And, you know, crisis management is certainly not conducive to long-term planning and long-term thinking. Problem is, like every other thing that we get used to, we fall into a rut. And, and I'm still seeing people crisis management in situations that are not necessarily necessitating uh, crisis management, but that's the mode that they've been in. So I, I think people need to consciously take themselves out of the short-term scenario right now and start looking long-term if they want to, if they want to be there on a long-term basis. And yes, we are far from, you know, uh, you know the in, uh, in, inflation is, is creeping up, cost of everything's gone up, we're in a talent shortage. Um, but you know what? I, I really do think that there's, like I said, there's still a lot of opportunity. So while you're trying to manage the crisis, you still got to see what tomorrow brings. And I know you're all going to sit there and roll your eyes at me. And after 14 hours as an entrepreneur go, I can't think about next Tuesday, never mind five years from now. Uh, I think that you need to find some way to bring that into planning. And I think a lot of that goes uh, in the way you deal with culture, Dan, I think that the way you deal with your team and the way that you can impress upon people to think long term, I think you get that momentum from the people with you. If all people are worried about is till five o'clock when they go home, you're going to have a much harder time trying to to get idea generation out of them. And you know what? This is a good time. There's a lot of people with a lot of really good ideas. And as you said, you asked me the question before, you know, now's an opportunity to try something that might be uh, out of the box that you can probably get away with that uh, maybe under times of certainty you couldn't get away with. And it's time to get to our guest. Uh, you know where you love her, or at least you love the business, Juliette is Chocolat. And Juliette is here, Juliette Brun, the founder. Hello, Juliette. Welcome to CJD. Well, thank you for having me. And hello. Very nice to be here today. First, I mean, we all know what Juliette Chocolat is, of course. I mean, I can remember taking my my first girlfriend there on dates at your your landmark uh, Outremont location, which was always so so beautiful and pleasant. But for those that don't know, I mean, for the couple people out there, what is Juliette Chocolat? So Juliette Chocolat, I would describe it as the paradise for any chocolate lover and sweet lover. Um, it's really anything you could think of um, surrounding chocolate. So all sorts of goodies uh, from melted fondue to pastries to uh, gifts to bring bring home uh, chocolate on crepes, chocolate in salads. We, we, we even use our chocolate in a chocolate vinaigrette. So the idea is how far can we push chocolate and how how creative can we be with it? 
So if uh, Vegas is the Disneyland for adults, then I guess Juliette Chocolat is the Disneyland for chocolate lovers and and, and sweets. Um, how did you get started? What what drove you in this direction? What how did you come up with the idea? Uh, well, I have to say I'm I have a extreme sweet tooth, so I I never finish a meal without a dessert. You have to know that about me. I go to the restaurant, I pick my dessert, and then I pick my my meal. So I know that I need to finish on something spectacular uh, to make sure that my my dinner is is completely um, completely marvelous. And so I, I think when I was considering opening a business, it was a lot of the time around food. I mean, I love food in general, and a lot of it was around sweet food. And I have to say, when I opened Gia Chocolat, it was uh, we actually had a lot of coffee shops popping over everywhere. In Montreal, we had uh, Starbucks coming in. We had like Second Cup, Presse Café. Anyways, any any type of coffee places you could think of, they were all around the streets. And so I was thinking, I love the concept because it was so simple and so streamlined. But I was like, I think there's a way to do something similar, but with chocolate because it wasn't something very common. And actually, when I went into stores, I don't drink coffee myself. I I'm naturally very um, happy and excited every day. So I don't need extra coffee to keep me awake, but I do drink hot chocolate. And so I was like, where's the hot chocolate in Montreal? I mean, it's such a, it, you know, it's six months of the year today. It's snowing. I mean, you, you never know what's coming up in Montreal and having a hot chocolate always helps. And I couldn't find one. So the idea was around, okay, let's do the same thing Starbucks did, but with chocolate. So we started with the hot chocolates and then kind of expanded on everything else. But you've taken this much more than just chocolate. I mean, if you, the, I, I'm sitting here, you know, looking at the website, and and I made the big mistake of going to your blog, and all I can see is, you know, everything from you know Sundays to, uh, you know, Easter treats to brioches. I mean, you took the idea of chocolate, and I, I guess the simplistic side is you use chocolate. The not so simplistic side is you use chocolate in everything. And, you know, how did you come up with the palette? How did you come up with such a, a vast array of, of servings? Well, it's it's funny because, like I said, I started with the hot chocolates and then I was like, well, wait a minute. What if we added this? And what if we? So I have a very creative mind and I have to say, I still have many ideas that my teams are always like, oh, what else is she going to come up with? Because they get worried. I mean, it can go pretty far. I mean, there are many ideas in the vault that has that haven't come out yet because they're just too crazy to come out. Um, but really, it's such an amazing ingredient because, I mean, we use the chocolate in a vinaigrette, but you can use chocolate in savory food and you can use it in sweet food and you can use it in different, you know, you can use it in pastries, but you can use it melted or you can use it grated or, I mean, there's so many ways to integrate it. So I always find that it's it's just unending the type of ideas that you can have and you can use it you can melt it and remelt it and remelt it so there's like all these you know you can do shapes and different sizes and I don't know I mean just talking to you about it and I'm going oh I have this idea and this idea so it's you know it's a fun it's a fun project it's a it's a fun ingredient to work with so now that I'm still drooling um how about we move to a little bit of the corporate structure how, how did you get this off the ground how many stores do you have what's your what's your vision for all of this well, so we have we have eight corporate stores. We have our, we opened our first franchise during the pandemic, so it was really fun. It was a it was a long long project in the making because we were never close to franchises. But I'm I, I feel like I need to be in control of things be, before I can actually 
sell it to somebody else as something that can work. So having it, having it done eight times before, actually nine times, because we closed one of the stores during the pandemic, I knew that the, that the concept worked and that it worked in different markets. So I felt comfortable saying to people, well, you know, I've done this eight times. They're all profitable. Um, I know how to train my people. I know how to keep my people and I know the products work. So, you know, I felt like I could sell something that was of value and we've had a lot of demand over the year, but I have to say just as rigorous as I need to be with my corporate, I really felt like it needed to be the same way with my franchises because I want people that are passionate and that are going to keep the project going with the same energy. And so it's fun to see how we can grow from, from those two perspectives. And I also have a factory actually. So that added on as we grew, um, just to, to standardize all the products, I realized that growing was not so hard. The hardest part was actually offering the exact same product from one store to the other. So now we have a factory that's about 20,000 square feet. So it's pretty big. We actually grew during the pandemic, uh, the, 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 that part of the business. And so it's fun because it's really like a three piece puzzle. The, the conversion from corporate to franchise is, I guess, on a good day, a challenge. And, and especially for somebody who likes to be a control freak in the process. Um, what were your biggest obstacles, uh, you know, converting away from having full control? And how much of that full control did you put into setting up the franchise? Uh, well, I, I guess it's really picking the right people because I, I don't, I, I, I actually work exactly the same way with my managers. Uh, I always tell them it's your stores. It's not my stores, it's their stores. So I, I tried, I mean, it's very, we, we work very much as a team. Uh, that's the way that I've always worked with the people that are supporting me in the business. So every idea is run through a lot of people and everybody kind of gives their feedback. And so they all feel like, you know, their, their input is really, put to good use. So you feel like you're invested into something that's, you know, yours as well. So it's the same way with, with um, my franchise. I mean, we, we, we talk to them regularly, they give us ideas and I feel like it just needs to be like a real team building effort. So that's how I feel that I want to proceed with the next uh, franchises is to really pick people that are on the same wavelength and want to work the same way. How do you, how do you determine where to, where you want the next franchise to be? Uh, well, you know what I'll say, I'll, I'll pick the person over the place. (laughs) So, um, I mean, I think that the, the concept works, um, for Canada at least. And I think it could work in, in, in many other countries seeing the, the return. I mean, we have a lot of people that actually come to Montreal to try our, 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 our stores and leave and go, we want to open in our, in our country. So I feel like it could work probably everywhere because nine, nine people out of 10 love chocolate and the 10th person is lying. So I feel like <laughs> that's like a marketing like, scheme. Yeah. <laughs> so no, I have to say that really this the place doesn't really bother me as long as I have a, a good partner. You know, uh, 10, 20 years ago, I couldn't really think of a chocolate franchise in Quebec. Now there are several. Um is imitation a form of flattery, Juliette? I, I think so. And I think it's actually great because it keeps us on our toes. Um, I don't like feeling comfortable. I feel that when you feel comfortable, you stop growing. And so, you know, when my teams are stressed or when you, you know, like you you have to keep on performing and it's exciting because that's why you get into business is to kind of see how far you can take things and, and how resilient you can be. So 
I mean, I feel like it's important. I, I grew up in the States, so I feel like it's something that you're really brought up with as well. Like in the States, you know, like you have a lot of competition, but the best survive. So it's it's for me, it's something that's very motivating. And I always push my teams to to see it the same way so that, you know, I mean, I, you're not a winner if you're the only one. You're just, you know, the only one. But if you're on top, when you have a lot of people, you know, underneath then it's it's extremely motivating so the prices of everything really are going up there are supply shortages issues with cocoa with uh, with the with your essential product how have you overcome that and um how have you been dealing with uh, the supply chain issue that's affecting every industry well it's definitely been the challenge we've had to adjust uh the way we work um buying more I mean, just having more stock, which is something that we've never never done. But right now, you know, we we just cannot have shortage of chocolate, which is our main ingredient. So, thank God we have very good um, partnerships with our with our suppliers. So, and I think it's also part of like strategy is to really work with people that you know are going to support you through your growth. So, we've always kept ex- excellent relationship with our with our suppliers, and so they know that, you know, if we want to keep that relationship, they have to be able to, to support us. So thank God, since we have such huge um, quantities, we're, we have priority over the ones that I have, that I have less. Um, but I've, I, I've had to go to like multiple co- Costco's to get like all sorts of chocolate. My car was like almost touching the ground because it was so heavy with chocolate and people were laughing. They were like, is this for your family? And I said, no, I have a lot of kids, but I'm not going to be eating all that chocolate. So, I mean, we have to kind of cope, but the idea is, I mean, just like anything else, you have to kind of adjust. So the new menu, we're working on also items without chocolate in in order to compensate for maybe a short supply if it were to happen. So far, we've we've been lucky. We've been able to to make ends meet with the quantities that we've we've been given. But you know, you never know. So the idea is to plan with other solutions in case it were to happen. And finding solutions for the the prices that are increasing. I mean, also it's, you know, being creative with your recipes, finding new ways to bring value without having that increased in cost. So I'm definitely it's definitely an issue, but thank God I'm working on the menu and I have I have multiple ideas on how to to, to to make it work. The other part of the, the other side of the coin, I guess, on on the uh, on the COVID side is the uh, the Great Resignation discussion and 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 people people issues. Um, you know, you're in a, a client facing people facing environment every day. Uh, it's hard to get. Uh, everybody complains about staffing. They complain about the prices. You know, you hear stories of thirty dollars for a dishwasher an hour to downtown in restaurants. How have you? How do you feel with you know the 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 pandemic has affected your staffing, and has your culture been relatively bulletproof in order to keep people? Uh, for sure, we've we've been impacted like everyone. I mean, just closing the stores for so many months. I mean, we were closed for ten months and then another eight months, or I don't even remember. So we've had to let go of people, and a lot of these people were students, and a lot of them finished school when when we were back to opening our stores so it was the first time in our history and we've been open for 19 years so first time that we've had to deal with kind of new teams in all of our stores you know like usually when we open a new store we have like one new team and then other people from the other teams coming to support well this time it was kind of like well you know you each have to kind of find solutions because you know nobody else can support you except like the people that are you know, not working in the stores and we're a very small team. 
But I mean, the idea was to tell them we're here to support at least with financials. So please don't stress about not being able to hire as fast as you think you should be hiring. Uh, we want to be able to tell them to take their time, pick well. Um, I mean, if it takes six months instead of three months, then it'll take six months. And if it costs us so much more money, uh, at least in the long term, we know that we'll have a better retention rate and that we'll have people that are invested and that really want to work with us and not just find a job. Because really, that's the issue. I mean, and I, I tell that to people that I that I uh, interview. I mean, I don't I don't just want people that want to work. I want people that want to work with Judith Chocolat. I want people that have the same values. I want people that, you know, are the best ambassadors for our brand. So it's really being picky and choosing the right people to take that place. And so if it takes six months, it'll take six months. If it, you know, and we find solutions. I mean, they, they're very cost conscious, conscious. Uh, our managers have been really trained to, to understand that, you know, margins are razor, razor thin and we need to be conscious of costs. So they don't overspend to just overspend. They know that if they are going to be spending that extra money to take their time to hire, they're going to be doing it well and they're going to be training well as well. So I feel like we've we've had pretty good success because if I look at my numbers, we have about like 40% of people referring other people. So, I mean, we've we've been hiring through regular means, I mean, adding, putting ads and but a lot of the people have been hired from people from within. So it's it's very motivating to see these numbers because you see that people love working with us and they want to help us get back on track. So it's fun. Yeah, it's very interesting. I mean, people people forget that y your own people sometimes are your best marketing at the end of the day, right? And whether that's for staffing or whether that's product or whether it's selling culture or whatever, I mean, your people, you, you, you go so far in trying to create that. But I, I got to assume, and you know, Dan mentioned this earlier in terms of the number of people out there in the market and the competition, that marketing plays a, a relatively large role in uh, what you are doing and building. And where did you start from, you know, marketing and, and what do you do different today than you would have done, say, five years ago? You know, I, I don't feel like we've really changed our marketing strategy. We do, I mean, we do targeted ads and but I feel like it's a lot of word of mouth that that have worked that has worked for us in the past. And so we try to keep that that, you know, concept of having people refers to other people, whether it be for staffing or even just for customers. I mean, there's no better I, I, you can you can pay for people to like support your products. But how, you know, is it really sincere and honest or is it just because they're paid to do it? So, I mean, we do marketing because I think it's inevitable today. You have to, you have to pay for, you know, Google AdWords and you have to pay for, uh, you know, ads on Facebook and Instagram and you have to do TikTok and you have to do all these things because it's like, you know, the way to get people to know you and just relate to you as well. I think you want to, you know, be relatable, but I feel like we still focus enorm enormously on, on, on the experience the experience of people coming into the stores, the experience of our, our, our new um, our new staff coming in, like every Tuesday night. So tonight I'm doing a, a welcome um, evening and I do it every Tuesday night and we welcome all the new teams. And, you know, we talk to them about what we're looking for so that, you know, it stays alive and well and inside the company. So I feel like most of my efforts, at least, I mean, I do have a marketing team, but most of my effort is to really keep that going and keep it alive so that, 
you know, we can, we can, we don't have to increase our marketing costs at least. There is also sort of your spaces and the location and the prominence of some of the locations. I'm thinking about the Saint Laurent store. I remember when that opened. I mean, that was hopping, you know, people coming back from restaurants and clubs and all that and getting their dessert. Uh, what was the what was the pressure like in terms of that location? Probably very expensive, very high pressure. Tell me about, about that experience. Uh, so that store, I mean, we were not expecting such a crazy opening. It was intense. It was so intense. I mean, we we actually opened a week before um, Valentine's Day, which was crazy because Valentine's Day for us is the the busiest weekend. And so we opened and we had lines out the door and across the street. And it was just and we had only new people working. So, you know, we weren't proper, properly staffed for having so many people for an opening. So, and it was a big store. It was my biggest store at, at the time. So it was just like, it was, it was a lot of, it was a lot of stress, but we made it through and it's one of our best stores still today. So I, I, I love, I love that store. It's a corner store. It has a lot of light and it's just very, very dy- dynamic because it's still on the main, which is, you know, one of the oldest street in Montreal. And so people actually, you know, always come on Saint Laurent when they, when they're coming to Montreal. So it's a fun vibe. And we have a lot of students and I love that store. And I was actually pregnant. I was, I was eight weeks, uh, eight months pregnant. So I opened and I had like my huge stomach and running with my cabaret and (laughs) it was a fun opening. (laughs) The evolution of an entrepreneur is learning from your mistakes along the way, things that you did and you say, Oh, I fixed that. I'll do it again. I'll move forward. Obviously execution is huge. What are some of the things you, you know, you would, do you look back on and go, yeah, that just wasn't right, but I fixed it and we moved on. We were better for it. It's an excellent question. So I have to say, I have the superpower to just erase anything negative that happens in my life. Uh, so I'm, I, I really, it's horrible. Like it's a good thing and it's horrible as well because sometimes people are like, do you don't remember this happened? And then I go, no. And then they remind me and I go, oh yeah, I kind of vaguely remember, but really my mind just erases the really bad stuff. So I have to say, I don't, I mean, there's nothing that I would say, oh my God, it was, I, I guess probably getting an investor at the beginning, cause it cost me a lot of money to buy him back. Probably I would recommend people to, if you can get money from the bank, instead of getting it from a, you know, from an investor, it'll probably cost you less, but otherwise, I mean, you know, everything that I did, I learned from. So I think it's always a positive. It's, you know, it's interesting because that's that, again, that long-term, short-term discussion, right? You know, you, don't, you you might not be here talking about it today if you didn't overpay for your initial financing, but, you know, you look back on it as a mistake. So, you know, you're never too sure where that right cutoff is in that exercise. But look, I think you've done a, a, a wonderful job. You're, you're obviously preaching to the choir when you're talking to me. So, you know, I, I think it's, I think it's a great environment and, you know, I guess last last quick question is, you know, where do you want to go from here? Where do you where do you see Juliette Chocolat going? Well, I mean, you know, the I I don't really see a limit to where I can go. I want to definitely grow this the the stores, um, whether it be corporate or franchises. I mean, I'm open to both, um, and definitely go like get out of Quebec, um, cover more of Canada. Go to the states as well. We have family there, so I would love to go to the states. I'm sure I, I'm I'm convinced it it would work. Um, and we're working on retail a lot now, so it's a fun project because it's it's definitely something that I think is is necessary in 2022 when you have, you know, a, um, 
a, a chain of restaurants that so you see it a lot more uh, in the supermarkets. And just, I mean, I think bringing it to, you know, wherever it can take us, because I'm very open to lots of opportunities. And like I said, I'm someone, someone with a lot of ideas. So it's really taming these ideas because otherwise I can really go all over the place. So thank God I have a team that helps me just get, get me back on track when I'm, I'm going a little crazy with my ideas, but I mean, I really don't see a limit. So I, I it's, it's still fun for me. So I, I'll keep going. <laughs> Juliette Brun of Juliette et Chocolat, a local legend, another one on this season of the show. Thank you so much. And we'll have Juliette Brun from Juliette et Chocolat's one piece of advice for today's entrepreneur to end the season. That's on the way. But first, let's welcome in our specialist, Alita Eid, head of people and culture at Pivisio by FL. She'll, she's here to talk about HR consulting. Welcome back, Alita. Hi, Dan. Thank you. Now, in terms of performance reviews, uh, this is something that entrepreneurs have to really do on a regular basis, Mike. And it's uh, it's important to have a system in place. Most definitely. I mean, uh, you know, you look at this and you see in the business world, nothing is ever static. And uh, we've all been able to observe and understand teams, processes and frameworks. And, and you know, the fluidity of, of how we get this to, to work and, and, and adapt uh, has been I would say massive the last two years in particular. I mean, it's always been a huge challenge, but, you know, the, the urgency, uh, you know, there's been so many books written and so many things about how uh, COVID basically accelerated, you know, so many things in our lives. And, and I think this is one of them. I think this whole adaptation of performance reviews, understanding work environments, uh, and how do you balance, uh, you know, short-term and long-term goals when, when dealing with people? So, you know, on previous shows, we've covered topics as the, uh, you know, as the massive movement of the workforce and, and a lot of these things. So, you know, basically what we need to understand now, and Alita and I, you know, this, this is where you come in is, you know, with employees spread across different locations and on different schedules, you know, what's the biggest challenge entrepreneurs face today in terms of performance and career development management? And how do you blend, you know, short-term goals of filling a position? and the long-term goals of trying to establish a proper development plan? Uh, so I think uh, the, the the biggest challenge today um, that, that I've been seeing and hearing about is retrieving the, the intangible side of it. So the informal conversations, the meetings, the lunch gatherings that we used to, to have, uh, these allowed us to learn um, about each other on a personal side, but also know about our victories and struggles at work on a daily basis. So becoming distant and physically away from each other for a long period of time removed access to these informalities and somewhat caused us to forget about some of the things that we used to do together. And our focus shifted on uh, adapting and surviving to a new world. So I think today the challenges are that um, we're finding things out too late. We're missing opportunities. We're facing a lot of miscommunication, which from a logical um, point of view makes sense because we're still in a stage of adaptation. But uh, so, yeah, I would say that the main challenge businesses are facing is to create new spaces and channels to keep an open dialogue with their team, to catch their difficulties and challenges in time, to be able to offer them the right support and help them grow. So I guess if the conversation is ongoing, then Mike, when, when you mentioned short-term and long-term um, goals, objectives, and any type of vision, you know, you can catch it on time or keep track of it if you keep the conversation going. So we're still learning how to communicate and collaborate effectively in new work uh, patterns. 
I sense that this is going to be a long process. I mean, it's taken us uh, thousands of years to learn to communicate, and we still fail miserably at it. So uh, I'm not too sure how quickly we fix this. But, you know, one of the things that's it's interesting, and as more and more uh, businesses are starting to bring people back either on a full-time basis or full offices, you know, you, before you had one choice, you, you came to the office or you went and worked in the store, and that's what you had. Now you've got full-time in the office, you've got hybrid environments, you've got remote locations. Each one of those requires a different uh, performance management approach and, and, and dealing with you know, a combination of work arrangements. And I dare say most of us were never educated in that. This is kind of like the blind leading the blind here in this conversation. What kind of advice can you give on how to adapt performance management policies to these combination of work arrangements? So first, I think it's important to mention and understand what you just said, the fact that it's just a new reality where we have to continue changing and adapting our practices. It's it's not a temporary fix. It's just going to be an ongoing thing. So I think it's important to not just reevaluate how we do our performance reviews um, in terms of um, process, but more importantly, we need to look at what we discuss in these meetings and how we de deliver our messages. So we can start with, and I think this point is really important because of the culture and mindsets that I used to encounter with clients. So we, I think it's important to avoid a mindset and culture that focuses on the amount of time team members are logged on or online, but rather their actual contribution to the collective growth and success of the company. So before becoming uh, completely remote or hybrid, I, I used to see owners and entrepreneurs that were, were very comfortable when they saw the team member at work at their desk. Now they don't know if they're working effectively, efficiently, but the fact that they were there sitting at their desk and looked like they were working was somewhat their, their comfort zone of saying, okay, performance is there. Now we're switching that and, and we're kind of sometimes just looking to see if people are online or how long they've been online. So I think we have to really avoid that type of mindset, uh, avoid that type of message that says if you're not online, then you're not working. And companies have to start developing a definition of what they uh what they think contribution is in their company and what got, what are the guidelines on how to achieve the optimal contributor status at work. A second tip uh, would be to reevaluate how often you provide feedback to, to your team members. So I'm pretty sure you've heard about this so many times before. It's time to move away from the traditional one time or two time a year evaluation program and jump into the ongoing performance uh, feedback. So yes, that is a great tip, but it's up to you to sit down and determine what channels do you want to use to keep that conversation going. So for example, you can put in place mentoring programs. Uh, you can offer in-house or external coaching, uh, consistent check-ins. And then what you need to do is you need to have someone, and often it'll be the HR team or the HR department that's kind of overseeing that these conversations are actually happening and try to see what kind of links or patterns um, exist between these type of uh, communications. And um, these channels with the help of HR can be designed to, to make the most of the conversation. So for example, um, and that's very important, how do you ensure that all parties, whether it's the team member or the manager, are committed 
and accountable to the conversation and to the outcome of it and the in-betweens. So, you know, you can keep in, you can have exercises in between these conversations. So, you know, talking about your top three accomplishments uh, and how they link to the organization's purpose, uh, the challenges that they're facing to meet their goals and the steps that they want to take to address those challenges. And the role of the managers is to help and empower their teams throughout the process. Not that long ago, Alita, that was considered fluff by a lot of managers and owners. Uh, we're now sitting in a world of uh, complete evolution and change. And it is, I completely agree with you, this is going to be a learning curve that mm -hmm. may transcend a generation. This may not just be, you know, it took us two years in COVID to figure this out and another two years to, to straighten it out. I think we've got a lot. I mean, I, it's funny, I always joked with people that, you know, running a firm during a pandemic, I must have slept through that course at McGill. Well, the reality is, is I got to think that curriculums going forward in the universities are largely going to focus on what is fallen out of all of this. And I think there's some big changes in, uh, to come. And I think those firms that get it right are going to be so far ahead of, uh, of everybody else. So thank you so much for that. Absolutely. Alita Eid, uh, Head of People and Culture at PVisio by FL Montreal. Thanks so much. And as we end the show, let's turn to Juliette of Juliette et Chocolat and ask her for her one piece of advice for today's entrepreneur, please. So I would probably have to say to just start somewhere, start start anything but just start I find that we always kind of you know push back it has to be perfect it has to be at the right time it has to be and really it doesn't have to be anything you can really just start with a tiny tiny and do it one step at a time um, I mean many of the success success stories that we hear today took time to become a success story it's not overnight it doesn't just happen because all of a sudden you came up with this amazing plan that just worked you know, as you started it, a lot of them started in their basements or in their, in their, um, car garage or whatever, you know, like you don't need to have everything down to the T for it to work. And yet check it out was a lot of, you know, bumps on the road. It wasn't perfect or stuff. I mean, my first menu, my crepes were ridiculously priced and I changed it after a week. So really there's nothing that you can do that can, you know, just not make it work over the long term. I mean, it's just being resilient and starting somewhere. So I, I'd probably say that. And then, I mean, I'm sure there's lots of other tips that you can give, but if you don't start, those other tips don't, you know, don't mean a thing. I gotta say, I love that. The execution and then change and execute and change is, is this evolution of entrepreneurial uh, spirit. Uh, you know, you can't be so rigid at the end of the day. So I think that's an excellent piece of advice. Thank you. And Juliette, you're actually capping off our season uh, this year. So I want to thank you very much for ending what was really an epic 13th season of today's entrepreneur. And we appreciate your time today. Well, it was so nice for you to invite me. I had a wonderful time, and I look forward to hearing all the episodes in my car when I drive. <laughs> How apropos that we finish the season like a meal with chocolate. There we go. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and Mike, that does conclude our 13th year. I mean, Juliette and Dax da Silva and uh, Louis Tetsu, uh, so many incredible stories this year. It was so much fun. Uh, innovative startups, unicorns, people that are exploding uh, all over uh, the US and Canada right now. Um, I want to thank you and FL for again supporting this uh, really great, uh, useful program for the entrepreneurial community 
recorded remotely, by the way, right through the pandemic. We never stopped the entire time. So thank you, Mike, and to all everyone at FL, to Marjorie, our executive producer, Ariel Blair as well, who assists her producing this program, to Fernando Helso, technical director uh, at TNKR Media, and all of our collaborators. Thank you for another amazing season, Mike. I can say it's ditto that, Dan. I think it's always a pleasure to work together. And, uh, you know, I think we we yin and yang each other pretty well in this whole exercise. And uh, Marjorie, I think you've come up with some phenomenal guests this year. So you and your team are doing a great job. So thank you once again, Dan. It's uh, I, it's always a pleasure to work together. And, uh, you know, I look forward to uh, season 14 coming in the fall. See you then. Season 14 will be there in the fall. And don't forget, you can subscribe to Today's Entrepreneur as a podcast on iHeartRadio, iTunes, or your favorite platform. And log on to hear the whole connection at todaysentrepreneur.org. Have a great rest of the summer. We'll see you back here in the fall. Talk.